Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Kevin Burton. He is a blind journalist, a retired beat baseball coach, as well as a player, and he now does freelance journaling, has his own blog. We're going to be talking about the life of Kevin Burton today. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, start off by telling everybody maybe a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from, uh, anything that you might want the audience to know before we kick it off. Well, um, I'm uh, visually impaired, of course, and I am uh, partially sighted. So uh, some of the things I mentioned that is helpful to know that. Um, So I've been, uh, have a, same level of vision all my life and um you know um living the dream that's a that's that's probably a good description for for much of my life i've been very very blessed uh i have not always been uh able to see a blessing and count it for what it was because <laughs> i've had some struggles as as most people have but um uh the vision impairment has uh i mean i really wouldn't wish that on anybody but for having had that it's it's given me some actually advantages and some things that i um really worked out to my favor so um i'll I'll just touch on a few things and uh you can prompt me if we need to move forward but uh i didn't uh, my parents weren't real good Uh, in fact they weren't very good at all in regard to sitting me down and saying, okay, you have a visual impairment and here's what it is and here's what it means. That would have been helpful to me, um, but I didn't get that. So um, as, as a quick aside, uh, parents, if this is your road that you're traveling with a, with a child, uh, have that talk. But, um, so, but I, at the age of nine, I went to the Ohio State School for the Blind in Columbus. And um, that, I certainly didn't know it at the time, but that was the best thing that ever happened to me as, as, a, young, uh, as a young boy. Um, I you know, got to know a lot of people with my same uh, problems, visual problems. Um, I got to... Um, positions of leadership that I maybe wouldn't have gotten into at a regular school, such as a wrestling captain and student council and things, things such as that. But um, now looking back, these are my lifelong friends. And really, if you see us interacting out and about in the big wide world, we, we react to each other and act around each other more like siblings than friends uh, because that's what we were really growing up at a residential school there in Columbus. And, um, you know, I guess there were about uh, close to 200 students uh, when I was there. So it was a real blessing. And uh, of course we called it back in the day, the Braille jail. So we, we didn't have any, 
<laughs> knowledge. We really had it had it uh, well. So college was another challenge. I had gone to public school for part of my uh, upper high school for half a year in, as a junior and for uh, half a day each day as a senior. So that was good in um, learning to relate in the sighted world uh, because um, that's that's the one major disadvantage to a school for the blind. It's it's closed off from the regular uh, larger society, and you kind of uh, get used to that. And that's not how the world is. So you you uh, that's the one thing you need to do is to keep uh, if you have a child of that age, um, the the schools for the blind are are good, but the, you have to uh, make sure that they uh, the children are socialized and exposed to you know all kinds of people sighted people as well as blind people so uh, i went to uh i said i went to high school in uh, mostly in ohio and when i came to uh went to college up in uh, kansas about uh, an hour north of where i am now at mcpherson college so as a senior in high school uh, a couple of friends and i started a um, a, a little newspaper. We called it the Western Sky. <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. Um, it was uh, it was regarded as legitimate by the teachers. So uh, if, if I was working on a story, then I could get out of class to go do an interview or go look up something or whatever. So they gave it at least that much respect. It wasn't a school sponsored thing. It was something that we started. And so with that little bit of uh, journalism, I showed up on campus to the, to the school's newspaper at the uh, McPherson College when I got there. And uh, I got a really good grounding of um, you know, writing um, at that time. Also, they had a television station, and I did a little bit of television uh, announcing basketball on TV. So... That is the uh, the main area where my journalism uh, career started, um, and I've always been um, somebody very uh, interested in words and language, and uh, so that's that's kind of where it started. And um, I've, I didn't stay; I did uh, do journalism professionally. Didn't stay in it always as a you know, for work, but I've, I've kind of circled around back to it. So that's, a, that's been one of the major themes in my life. Well, let me, before we get into that, let me just ask, why do you feel that your parents did not sit you down and have that talk, as you call it? Do you think it was because they didn't want to scare you or they just didn't know any better because a lot of parents don't have any idea about blindness or how it works. They just know that they have a blind child or a visually impaired child, whichever word people want to use. Well, I don't know if people would pick up on this, but you you know, uh, I mentioned that I went mostly to high school in Ohio and college in Kansas, and that's largely because they, they broke up. So they were having their own relationship problems. Um, so that, that, I guess that was part of it. But... Um, you know, I really don't know why they wouldn't have done that. That that's a that's a very good question. Um, I don't know. My dad, he he, um, <laughs> I don't think he he 
had the right reasons for having children in the first place. But um, he, you know, it's not something, and you can tell because I'm stumbling around the topic, it's not something I've really thought about uh, a lot because I did uh, get to go to the blind school uh, up in Columbus. So um, I, I really, I don't think they knew much of anything about uh, blindness. Um, so they, they just didn't have an in them, I guess. Yeah, I understand that. So let's talk about your journalism career. What was it like to be a blind journalist and what were some of the interesting things that you got to do and, and the things that you had to do to make it work for you? Because, you know, in journalism, sometimes you have to travel, you might have to go do a story, go do an interview. How did you work all that out? Well, the first thing I found out was, uh, very few editors and publishers of these newspapers thought a uh, visually impaired person could do the news full time. So um, I discovered this the summer after I graduated and I, I put out resumes all over the place. And um, there's a there's a magazine called Editor and Publisher, and it's about the journalism industry, print journalism industry. And uh, in the back are the jobs that are open. And so I used to obviously get that and apply for the ones in, in places where I wanted to go or thought I could compete for the job. Um, so that's the first thing about journalism. It was very hard to get in because there are some legitimate questions that a, a paper would and should ask. Uh, you know, how are you going to get around? How are you going to get to this? So the, the better newspapers at least looked at it and, you know, it helped me figure it out. And the ones who uh, really had no imagination, they just kind of didn't even, didn't even try. So that the first thing to mention is the difficulty of even getting into the, the field. And then my first job, after so, after so much struggle trying to find a job, I mentioned this newspaper. I said, well, I can see some jobs here in some far off places like Alaska. So I said to myself, you know, I bet nobody really wants to go to Alaska. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply for those jobs and I'm going to be competing against fewer people. And uh, maybe I can get in that way. And that is how it happened. So this is just an example of what a blind person uh, sometimes, uh, many times, has to do. Think outside the box. In my case, think way outside the box. Uh, there were two jobs I remember. One was at uh, a newspaper, a twice-weekly newspaper called The Frontiersman. It's in Wasilla, Alaska. And uh, the other paper I applied to was the Nome Nugget, N-O-M-E Nugget. Nome is that city way out there on the Aleutian Islands uh, going toward Russia, way out there. One of the very, very coldest places <laughs> in Alaska. And so thank God it was the frontiersman that uh, called me and offered me a job. That was about an hour north of Anchorage. So it's cold, but it's really consistently not any colder than, say, Minnesota, or uh, it's nothing that you can't live with. So uh, when I got there, the guy, they, actually, the, my first editor, 
had a disability himself. He had a polio as a younger person, and he had a, a leg that wasn't 100% functional. So he, uh, he gave me a chance. And so once I got into the job, it was, I was really motivated to succeed, to prove uh, for myself and for, I don't know, I was, I kind of still think this way. I, I want to succeed to, to prove that blind people can do whatever, X, Y, Z. So I have a, uh, I mean, to this day, I have a handheld magnifiers that I use to read stuff up close. I have a monocular that I use if, if I'm in a room and somebody's putting vote totals, local election night, vote totals up on a board. Uh, I use the monocular to see across the room to do that. So there's, you're going to find a way. If you love something, if you're really motivated, you're going to find a way. So I had some, uh, you know, I had some doubters. In fact, my, uh, my first editor said that, uh, you know, you really need to come through because I'm, I'm, uh, there's some people that are kind of doubting this. <laughs> so, and I did, I got, uh, I ended up with a, a fistful of awards there. Uh, one year I was the best sports columnist in the whole state of Alaska. So that, that's kind of how it got started. And I went on from there. I ended up doing, it was about seven years in total, seven and a half years uh, working in, uh, small papers and magazines in Kansas, Alaska, Ohio, uh, Washington, and Iowa. Those are the places I worked. The only daily I worked at was in Iowa in a town called Muscatine, Mississippi River town called Muscatine. So uh, it was really was a joy to, you know, fulfill my life streams, got to work with uh, words and language, got to entertain, got to inform I used to call myself, somewhat pretentiously perhaps, an unblinking champion of the truth. You know, I was uh, out there uh, trying to cut through, as they say in journalism, trying to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So, so that's, that's what it was. And uh, I mentioned briefly in college, I did some television. I did a very little bit of radio as well. But uh, mostly, I've enjoyed most the uh, the print journalism, and um, getting getting to uh, fulfill that dream. Well, speaking of words and language, you really did get to work with words and and languages, even other languages. Talk about your time in Mexico and and how you got that job and and how that came about and what that was even like, because going to Alaska is one thing. That's still in America but you went to a completely different country to get a job. Well, yeah, I actually told these out of sequence because it was my frustration at not getting a newspaper job that made me even think about going to, to Mexico. So the Mexico idea came from, uh, there were three, three college friends of mine who said, hey, we're, let's go down to Mexico for a couple weeks. And I said, well, I'm up for such and such a job. If I get it, I'm obviously going to that. If I don't get it, I'll go down to Mexico. Well, I didn't get it. And so I went down to Mexico with these guys. We drove. It was uh, uh, one of my songs that I wrote is called Four Part Mexican Band. And that stems from that time. And uh, we, cl we crossed at Laredo and we went to, um, we went down the middle of the country to Mexico City 
and then turned to the Atlantic and drove back up the Atlantic coast. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I forgot to not drink the water. Uh, I remember that the, the first, uh, you know, we, we've driven into Mexico and we're a few miles in and, and uh, we sit at this restaurant and they, they obviously, they bring you water. Everybody brings you water. So um, I forgot where I was and I'm just sipping this water and my so-called friends are just looking at me, you know, grinning. <laughs> but uh, I think that whole thing may be overblown because uh, I never got sick from that. But um, anyway, after I had fun on this two-week trip, so I got more and more frustrated when I got back up to the States not getting this job. I said, well, I'm going to give it a little bit more time, and then I'm going to see about going to Mexico. And I'm either going to be a tour guide or I'm going to teach English. And th those were the things that, that uh, Americans could do pretty easily. So um, I ended up going to um, Mexico. I remember uh, the day before I left, got on the plane to go to Mexico. Uh, my mom said to me, did you ever think of backing out of this? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I thought of nothing else but backing out, but I'm not going to. And uh, so one other thing I remember about that time is my grandmother, who's now passed on, uh, prayed with me and that I would meet the right people. And so once I got on that plane, I immediately began to meet the right people. The, the guy I was sitting next to on the plane got me a discount at the hotel in Puebla and uh, some people at the hotel in Puebla uh, sent me, uh, gave me, I told them what I was trying to do, and they sent me to a school where they knew people. And so the third school I went to hired me as a teacher with no, uh, no experience as a teacher. Uh, what I had was a, a plain uh, Midwest accent. I didn't talk like a New Englander or a Texan or a Southerner. Didn't have any of those heavy accents. So that's what they wanted. And um, that's what they got. It was it was really, uh, as I say, in, by some measures, it was the best job I ever had in terms of income versus the where I was. It was among among the better paying jobs, um, not the very top, but in Mexico for for just somebody who didn't really have teaching experience. It was a it was a really gift from God. So I did that for a while, and I really enjoyed it, but. Um, Spanish is, uh, if you know anything about Spanish, uh, the sentences are constructed a little bit differently, and there's some other differences, but uh, one of the things that got me thinking about going back up to the States and uh, trying journalism one last time was I was walking down the street to my favorite taco place um, that stayed open late, and I was thinking to myself in English, this was a day very hard. <laughs> now that sounds like uh, nonsense. And in English, we would say it's a very hard day, but in Spanish, that's the way the construction would be. So as soon as I thought that, I said, uh-oh, I better get back up to the States before I forget how to speak English. And um, so shortly after that, I did. But it was, um, it was really foundational. It was really good for me in a lot of ways. The teaching that I did helped me um, in a lot of other situations, public speaking. Uh, I, I subsequently was a Sunday school teacher, 
after that. So it was really fun. And I was immersed in language all day. If I wasn't helping people learn English, they were helping me learn Spanish. So it was a really fun time. And um, I think it's a little rougher down there now. <laughs> I don't think I'd do that again, but really, really blessed to have that as an experience. People that look at my resume, they see Alaska on it and, and Mexico, and it, it's uh, it's almost tiring just to read it. But uh, that was my, uh, my little Mexican interlude. Yeah, so let's switch over now and talk about your blind recruiting days, you know, just kind of tell people about, you know, recruiting the blind, because I know that you were very thorough and detailed when I used to work with you. So just, you know, kind of discuss what, what you would tell a blind person that's trying to get a job or do stuff and how the ways that you encourage people and told your story. Cause a lot of people liked you and you were real great at recruiting. Well, I, well, thank you for that. First of all. And, I was really just an advocate for the blind. And uh, one of the things I told people was that as a blind person myself, I have no problem, um, you know, diplomatically or, or if need be or not, uh, telling a, a person that, you know, what they're, what they're saying is excuses. So in other words, I, I know full well the differences between the very real barriers that there are in the world for a blind job seeker. And I know they exist. I know where they are and how hard they are. But I also know an excuse when I hear it. And I heard some <laughs> over the years. So, so that was a lot of my value um, as a recruiter was that. But I was really, I tried to level with everybody. And if I didn't have the situation that was going to be best for them, you know, I, I told him so. And I, you know, I would always fight for, to my own, uh, to my own hurt sometimes, would always fight for the, uh, advocate for the blind and their capabilities. And um, there's a lot of times in, in, in my time, the, the jobs that you could get were mostly entry level jobs. And I always advocated for uh, promotion for the qualified blind people, but it was, it was really a very good uh, extension of just my persona as an advocate for the blind and a realist and just someone who, I mean, I know I, when I hit the job market, I just wanted to work and uh, take care of myself. And, and uh, that's all people really want is a chance. And uh, I have failed at some things and uh, very few people have not failed somewhere along the line, but I just always wanted a chance to a chance to fail or succeed and then people deserve that and that's that's how I went to bat for people oh that's a great segue speaking of going for bat going to bat let's talk about your blind beat baseball career you were a player as well as a coach kind of explain to people what that is and you know what beat baseball is and some of the accomplishments that you achieved during your career. Well, beat baseball is a form of baseball for the blind. And um, I never knew it existed until, um, let's see, kind of late. I was in my 30s, early 30s maybe. 
I, w- growing up, I love baseball. I was in Ohio at the era of the big red machine. And who wouldn't love baseball <laughs> when your team, you know, wins most of the time, World Series championships and pennants and, and uh, just legendary baseball team. And I loved baseball. I still still do, but I, I was all about it. And when I first heard there was a, a way that a blind person could play baseball, I mean, I was all in, absolutely all in. And so, in fact, the the baseball and the journalism kind of crossed paths because I had a I had a little weekly job in Wichita working for a weekly magazine, and my editor said, uh, "Hey, there's a sport. It's called beep baseball. Go get me a story on beep baseball." <laughs> so, she put me in touch with the coach, and. Um, I went out and uh, I did, uh, you know, ask my questions. Um, you know, I went to the, went to practice with a notebook, not with a bat, <laughs> but, um, and I, I mentioned to the coach that, hey, you know, I'm visually impaired myself, by the way. And so toward the end of this um, practice, he says, uh, why don't you step in there and, and take this bat, put on this blindfold and just take a couple of swings, you know? And he, he was kind of laughing out of the side of his mouth. And um, I figured out later that he wasn't laughing because he thought I was going to make a fool out of myself. He was laughing because he knew that once I hit the ball, made contact one time, that was it. I'd be hooked and he'd have a player. <laughs> so that was, that was a lot of fun. And so that was, let's see, that was 89, I believe, right before, um, right before I got that job in Alaska. So he didn't have me long because I, I moved out of state. But that's how that started. And um, so it wasn't until a few years later when I got back to Ohio, I was telling a, a friend of mine that, hey, when I was in Kansas, I played this sport called beat baseball. And he said, well, we got a team right here. So. I was I wanted to do something athletically and there was that beat baseball and there was some uh, roller hockey for sighted people because I had enough sight to do that and um, you had to pay a little bit for the roller hockey and the beat baseball didn't have any dues at that time so I chose the beat baseball and uh, it's really been um, kind of like going to the school for the blind it it enabled me to do is to see a lot of places. Um, we went to Taiwan one year to play baseball, you know, so I've, you know, been over there in Taiwan when you're on somebody else's soil and you hear your national anthem played, that's, that's a, that's a life highlight. That's something I never will forget. Our team at that point was pretty mediocre, but that, that still was a, a real highlight. So I uh, certainly remember that. I I uh, was a a decent athlete, uh, but the thing that made me a really good player was my mental preparation. And so, not everybody is gifted with the with the, you know superb supreme athleticism, but uh, you can be on task and and be uh, dedicated and um, maximize what you have. So. That's what happened for me. So I, I ended up uh, 
playing uh, 20 plus years, uh, some, some years with the Columbus team, some years with a Kansas team. And then uh, later on toward the end of my career, I um, started a team, a new team in Wichita, which lasted about seven years. And uh, so that's, that's mostly where my coaching came in. And uh, as a coach, I would go around the country and I did a lot of media. I uh, did uh, some print, did some television and radio. And I would tell people that, you know, when, when sighted people around the country see us playing baseball, they say, well, we didn't know blind people could, could play baseball. And I would always say, well, that's good. There are probably a lot of other things you didn't think a blind person could do in the work world. So then they were open to at least listening to that because they had seen this beat baseball. So, uh, ba you know, you could give a lot of speeches and, you know, but what better calling card for the capabilities of the blind than baseball? Everybody knows something about baseball. So it was, uh, so that was my attitude with it. It was fun and athletic, but I never would have put as much work into it um, that I, as I did, if it weren't, if I didn't recognize it as uh, a place where blind people can learn to succeed in many ways. And I always told my players, uh, if, if all you get out of this are wins and losses, um, I haven't done my job because there's so much more that you can learn from this experience. And, uh, you know, some players did and some didn't, but it was a uh, very rewarding for me and, um, something I uh, obviously never forget. Well, for those who might not know what beat baseball is, explain how it's played and, and how the game works. So you have um, six players in the field instead of nine. You have uh, some sighted players. Uh, first of all, the pitcher is sighted. We think that's a great idea to have the pitcher be sighted. So you have a pitcher and a catcher who are sighted, and you have two uh, people on the defense who are sighted, and they're called spotters. A spotter is allowed to give a number corresponding to a zone as to where the ball is going. So... Everybody in this game, uh, except the sighted players, all the blind players are blindfolded so that uh, it's even because I'm partially sighted. Some people obviously have uh, less or no vision. So you uh, everybody puts on a blindfold and that makes it even. So the pitcher is on the same team with the batter. So pitcher, catcher and batter are a unit in beat baseball. So and I liken it to in, in football. You have, uh, when you're kicking a field goal or an extra point, you have a, a center who snaps the ball. You have a holder who holds it and a kicker, of course, who kicks it. So that's a unit, and they practice um, all year long, so the timing is just perfect. And that's, what, that's the kind of unit you are as a batter, pitcher, catcher, batter in beat baseball. So your skill as a hitter is to swing at the same level every time and once that pitcher gets to learn how high your swing is it's his or her job to hit the bat with the ball so that's that's the major difference between the two uh between sighted baseball and baseball for the blind uh there's no such thing as being on base in beat ball you run a hundred feet to the base which is uh, the base is a cone actually which uh makes a noise so 
once you at the point of contact when you hit the ball uh, you run they will turn on a, a, a base operator will turn on either first base or third base and you run to that base if you get to the base before someone picks up the ball then that's a run and if you, if they pick up the ball first then that's an out so that's how the game is played we get four strikes instead of three uh, you get one they call it a ball but what it actually is is uh, i used to use it as uh just if i if i hit a ball and it went foul late you know and i ran all the way to the base or um i was kind of out of breath I, I would use that what they call a ball just to rest a little second so you get a ball and, and four strikes uh, is an out. And you know, you don't have um, sighted people probably think of blind people out there uh, running around trying to trying to pick up this ball. And um, you really don't have very many uh, collisions in the field at all. Players get hurt because you fall over that cone and you can't, uh, can't always you can't always determine how you're going to fall, but it's, it's really, it's almost, um, it's something to see. It really should, uh, if you get a chance to see a game, it, it'd be worth your while. Uh, and there's some game action on uh, YouTube that uh, you can see, but um, it's, it's really a test of a lot of things beyond your athletic ability, uh, your leadership, your uh, teamwork ability, but, but um, let's see, any other rules that are different? We have six innings instead of nine. And um, the, um, those are the major differences. So it's, um, it's, it's a really a joy. And if you happen to stumble upon a game, you would definitely recognize it as a very close to baseball or softball that most people have played at some point. And to all the sighted people out there, if you would like to volunteer, just Google Beat Baseball, the closest to you, and maybe you can go help them out. They're always looking for volunteers on these teams. That is accurate. Uh, it's, it's hard to, because it's not, um, I mean, I used to call people lifers, and it really does take a lot. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of uh uh, fundraising is is trying to raise money to take these teams across the country. Um, I mean, it takes a lot. So, um, but then uh, there there are opportunities at all levels. I'm sure if uh, if you didn't have that level of time, that much time, uh, your local team would still embrace you and, and uh, let you volunteer. But uh, it's really um, you learn a lot it's going to be a good, a good uh, rewarding experience for you. Well, let's switch over now and talk about Burton Media 7. Talk about that blog. Talk about how you created your company. Because I know in your one of your posts, you talked about why you named it that. So tell the listeners why you named it that and what you write about and how often it comes out. Well, um, the the blog is called the page seven blog and that has an athletic and a journalism meaning uh, seven was my uniform number for most of my years as a beat baseball player so uh, and then you know I didn't want to set it up like I'm I'm some big shot and my 
my news or my articles are going to be on page one. So I, I assigned myself to page seven. And so that's how the name came. And uh, I'm on uh, WordPress. And you can find the blog at uh, www.burtonmedia.org. It's an org, O-R-G. So Burton is B-U-R-T-O-N. So that's it, www.burtonmedia.org. And some of the things that I've talked about uh, here uh, tonight are uh, some of the things, some of the memories and lessons that I talk about on the blog. So these days, usually um, on Tuesday, uh, when I post on Tuesday, it's almost always about music. When I post on Sunday, quite often, it's about uh, some aspect of my Christian faith. And um, I also publish Friday and Saturday. So it's, um, I just actually increased from three days to four days a week. It's Tuesday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And um, right now the blog is, it, it was started patterned after an old newspaper column so that it wouldn't have just one topic. Uh, I know a lot of blogs are very specific and it may end up to where this blog spins off into, uh, it could easily spin off into a sports and then a one on faith and then one on um, music. Uh, that could easily happen. But for right now, those are, those are kind of the main topics. And it, it's, again, it's Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So uh, it's probably the pretty rare person who would be interested in every last post of mine. But you're definitely going to find something that... Uh, you know, will be of interest to you. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I'm still trying to be an advocate for the blind, of course. I always will be that. And um, I'm trying to inform and I'm trying to entertain. And uh, hopefully I'm, I'm doing that. Um, the world is, is full of bloggers. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. So it's hard to stand out. Uh, we live in an age of uh, information glut. Uh, my words compete with a lot of other words. So it's really an honor to me if you take the time to uh, get on the site and look around. But uh, you'll be happy that you did. So what I've I tried to, um, so far I haven't really gotten into a lot of heavy, heavy controversies, you know, because other people can do that much better. Uh, they, people have more resources to to do things like that. I'm trying to keep it light. I'm not dodging. I mean, we've obviously got some tough, tough things going on right now politically and medically with the virus, and I touch on those things, but uh, it's mostly quite a lot lighter because, um, you know, I think that's what people are, are looking for is, is a break, <laughs> a little happy break here and there from some of those other things. So, um, one of the things that helped me as a writer is reading and that, that should make sense to people, but not everybody knows that. So when I was a younger person on talking book, I used to listen to magazines like Newsweek and Sports Illustrated, uh, specifically, and they had the great writers who really knew how to tell a story. And I learned my craft a lot from them. And, uh, you can see that on my blog, uh, four days a week now. So it's it's a joy to uh, to be able to share with people. Um, I get some good comments and I've, I've uh, 
finally, I'm starting to get some followers up to 50 plus. I just passed the 50 mark last week sometime. And uh, that doesn't sound like a lot, and it really isn't. But you, if you start a blog, you start with no followers. So you have to earn them one by one. Somebody's got to find you and, um, you know, like what you do. And so it's, it's an honor when that happens. So um, that, is, that is how I'm trying to uh, continue. And um, it's really uh, something that's a challenge and something that's a real joy to me. Well, I definitely hope this interview will get you more listeners. You want to flip over as the last topic and talk about your musician career. I know you do some karaoke, had been doing it, had, you know, because of the pandemic, hadn't been doing it, but you, you like to play and you like to do things. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, and I do, I have mentioned it a little bit on the blog, but, uh, and uh, just in the last few months, I've been a lot more faithful to the blog than I have my music, but I, I write, uh, I play keyboard and uh, a little bit. I'm more of a singer than anything else. I'm probably, or people tell me anyway, an above average singer. And um, I write songs. I wrote a bunch of songs back in the old days and I've, I've written a few new ones. And um, I enjoy the, um, you know, my main, uh, influence, I guess, uh, was uh, Jerry Rafferty, who's a Scottish, uh, late Scottish musician, and uh, I love the Beatles, and, and so the piano-driven, uh, you know, Billy Joel, Elton John types uh, with harmony, like the Hollies and the Beatles, and um, so that's, that's the sound I'm going for, and um, it's really, uh, I like uh, clever lyrics, and not, you know, I, I try to, I try to turn a phrase just the way I do on the blog, try to do that um, musically. It's just uh, the music has never taken off as well as the writing has. Uh, it's, it's never too late and I'm still working on it, but uh, I love the music because um, once you write that song and you've got it written, it, it you can never nobody can ever take it away from you. It's something that you've created, and um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. it it's uh, it's really a joy to um, have something that you can look at, um, and you know you've put that out into the world. And uh, what I'd really like to do is to get it in a form where uh, more people can see it and more people can listen to it and enjoy it. But um, it's just another form of expression and um, something that uh, I hope to continue. Absolutely. Are there any other topics that we have not talked about that you would like to talk about? Any tips or life advice or writer's advice you'd like to give the listeners before we go? Well, I just... Uh, you've heard me talk about these various things, and some of them are, wow, a blind person can do that. And um, I'm not saying being reckless or anything like that, but challenge yourself, you know. Uh, there are always going to be people who don't know you and don't know blindness, and they're going to stand in your way and are going to try to overprotect you or whatever. But uh, 
you know, stand up for yourself and just try things. You know, if uh, you're not going to succeed all the time, but uh, believe in yourself as a blind person and here and there along the way, if you can help your fellow blind person to succeed. And that's, I guess that's the message that I want to, uh, you know, I've always tried all these years to put forward. Absolutely. Go ahead and throw out your website again and any other contact information that you might want to give to the listeners to connect with you if they'd like to. So I'm on WordPress. That's the that's the site for my blog. It's the page seven blog. And uh, if you remember how to spell my name, my last name, Burton, B-U-R-T-O-N, you'll get there. So it's www.burtonmedia.org. It's an O-R-G. And um, you, uh, if you sign up for the blog uh, as a follower, you'll get a, a little mention on your, uh, I think it's a email, right? Email notification. Yeah, that, and then it'll start getting emailed out every time you post. Yeah, so you'll get that on Tuesday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And um, that's that's the way to get there, www.burtonmedia.org. And uh, be delighted to uh, have a lot of people show up there and look around. And if you happen to forget it, I will put it in the show notes so you can also check there. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Burton. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed this. Anytime. And listeners, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review after listening to Kevin Burton. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.